Hello, everyone. Um, we will wait a couple of seconds for everyone to join. This should be fine. Everyone can just get along. Um, so welcome, everyone. Um, my name is Britt, and I'm the marketing manager at Etron Technologies. We're very excited that you're here. Um, if you've been with us before, welcome back. And if it's your first time, welcome. Uh, you can see all the previous ones on Spotify, YouTube, and on our website. So these Talk to an Experts happen every last Thursday of the month. So make sure you stay tuned and follow us on LinkedIn, and then you will find the calendars there um, for our, our next talks, because we will cover anything automotive and anything technical, anything on the business side, whatever it is, we will cover it at some point. So stay tuned. Um, so for those who don't know us, eTron is an international technology scale up and we are dedicated to making software defined vehicles a reality for OEMs worldwide. So our house rules for if you haven't been here before, um, if you have any questions, just pop them in the chat and Brian will answer them at the very end. Um, so our expert of today is Brian, technical leader in motion control. So hi, Brian. Could you hi, please Brian. introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, good Good to be here today. Uh, <laughs> so I am yeah, technical leader for motion and my background is uh, just over 25 years in automotive and mainly in vehicle dynamics development, uh, so passive systems, and then uh, into active uh, chassis control systems development, um, integrating them, uh, developing them, calibrating them. Uh, and uh, also then spent uh, seven or eight years in ADAS and automated driving. So again, that kind of went on from um, the, the vehicle dynamics side of motion control into more advanced uh, motion control. Um, and now, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm back into uh, motion control for vehicle dynamics predominantly here at Etron. And my role here, I, I'm the um, technical lead for uh, for the area. I work with a team of software engineers and system engineers here to develop the, uh, the software solutions for us. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we're involved in uh, different kinds of motion control here from damper control through to uh, um, some more advanced stuff, which we'll hopefully get a chance to talk about today. So yeah, nice to uh, nice to be here. Cool, thank you. Um, so let's dive straight in. What is active suspension and what is possible? Yeah, okay. So I've actually got a few pictures which we've used in some presentations recently. So I thought it might be useful for some of this. Um, okay. So uh, just, um, in terms of active suspension, I guess there's a range of a range of things that uh, it covers. Um, it uh, covers everything from uh, air suspension, which is adapting uh, the, the static spring force in the suspension, or can adapt the spring stiffness through active dampers, which are able to uh, change how much suspension damping there is in the uh, in the the vehicle. Uh, active roll control, adapting the roll moment, um, and then what we some people would call fully active suspension, where 
it's possible to actually overlay a force on uh, on each corner of the car. Um, so we would consider all of these to be active suspension systems. Um, and within each of these groups, there's a range of capability possible. So it depends on the uh, the supplier or the technology that they've chosen. But there's a there's typically a range of performance possible through either uh, different bandwidths of, of the system or response times and those kind of things. So if you look at active damping, for example, there's a picture there of uh, one active damper, which is a kind of conventional hydraulic damper with a bypass valve uh, control. Mm. Um, and the other one is a, um, a magnetorheological damper, so an MR damper, which, uh, so these two have a very different characteristic, um, but are kind of within the active dampers uh, technology part. So but the, the thing with all of these active suspension systems is that they um, give the OEM greater tuning flexibility when the OEM is trying to optimize comfort and handling and steering behavior in uh, in their vehicles. Okay, um, so like picking an active damping then, why why would I, well, an OEM, why would they, why would they need it? A good, good question. Um, so I think if we, if we think specifically about the EV market, um, that's, you know, big, uh, big area for us at the moment. Um, I think there's a, there are probably three three drivers or benefits that I would see going to um, an active damping system. Uh, the first one is about um, you know the, the, these uh, new EVs. A lot of them are being positioned to compete against premium products in the premium segment, uh, where having you know the, the right level of feature content, the right technology on the car is very important to the consumer. So. Some of it is about just positioning of the, the product in the premium segment, active dampings available or has been available for um, a number of years on a lot of a lot of premium products. So that's the first one. Um, yeah. I think secondly, again, uh, it's important for vehicles to to have the latest tech and and also to provide the consumer with um you know the latest uh, the best experiences they can have and part of that is being able to give the customer choice or personalization so in the case of um active damping that allows the oem to offer the customer different modes like a sport mode or a comfort mode in their car oh is that just with a press when you press the button to put it like comfort mode or sport mode do you then is that a change of the damping then yeah, so so when uh, when a car has uh, changeable driver modes, if mm -hmm. it's a comfort mode, like um, then typically dampers are one of the systems which will be adapting for that mode. So it might also they might uh, change the the way that the the vehicle responds to throttle inputs or brake inputs or maybe the feedback through the steering wheel. But yeah, the active dampers will change typically in those in those different driver modes as well. Okay, thank um, you. Um, and then and the third the third reason um kind of more of a technical reason for evs needing active damping um is to do with the mass properties so the what, what we see in the market today is typically uh with evs if you compare it to a, a petrol or diesel uh, derivative of the same vehicle the ev will typically be between 20 and 30 percent heavier um so the vehicle has uh, has higher mass um, and although it's got higher mass, because of the positioning of that mass, some of the 
uh, other properties, the inertias of the vehicle are maybe not so high or, or uh, a different. And that difference in mass properties and the balance between masses and inertias makes it more challenging to achieve the same kind of feeling in the car that you have in the, in the equivalent um, ice derivatives. So um, it, that different, uh, different challenge um, is more difficult to, to kind of manage with uh, the passive system. So mm -hmm. that's where um, to achieve the, the same kind of balance between comfort and, uh, and handling, um, an active damping system can make a real difference to the, to the OEM. Okay, and what would you say are the most important things to get right when you integrate an active damping system? Um, so I think um, there's a there's a few things. So um, first of all, in, integrating any of these active systems into the vehicle in itself is a challenge. So there's some uh, some challenges with packaging, um, managing power consumption of these systems. Um, managing the, the kind of duty cycle and the, the durability of them. So there's sort of uh, normal uh, integration challenges. Um, then there's uh, how, how to pick the, the right system design. So that includes uh, the right sensors, you know, how many sensors are needed and what specification of sensors, but also the actuator, like I mentioned earlier, uh, there's different types of actuator even within these uh, these different um, groups mm -hmm. so picking picking the actuator with the right performance um along with the sensors uh, is really critical um and that again is a, is a challenge so it's about the overall system design for um for what's needed um and then finally i think um and you know big big challenge and where we um at etron kind of put a lot of our value in is Picking the right control strategy or the right control approach. Um, <clears throat> so, in terms of uh, um, integrating systems, wow. there's two two areas that here. There's one is if if the customer or the OEM has a number of these different active systems working on one vehicle, it's important to integrate uh, the control of those systems to avoid um, you know fighting between between each system but also mm -hmm. um the uh, um yeah so so fighting between the systems but also uh, maximizing the kind of benefits that are possible between between all across all the systems um and then so if the the other part of the the control approach really uh is then how, how do you get the the right performance that you want from these systems and that's where uh so we we have uh, Etron. We kind of think about it. If we're trying to achieve kind of two goals from the, the OEM side, one is for comfort, mm -hmm. and one is for handling. Um, we um, we think about uh, kind of sky hook and ground hook control um, principle. So, okay. if you um, if you're thinking about comfort, think about sky hook. Um, you you're kind of optimizing the. Uh, the performance of the vehicle for maximum comfort and you want to try and achieve this kind of uh, situation where the, the body of the car, you know, the, the occupants are kind of gliding across the surface. Like a Mercedes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, a Mercedes, if you think about Mercedes uh -huh. sedan, you know, you think of a nice uh, comfortable uh, uh -huh. vehicle and the, the occupants are kind of gliding across the surface. And it's similar if you think about... Um, the way that I like to kind of picture it is 
if you watch a, a, um, a film with a you know a big cat in Africa hunting mm -hmm. and it's kind of moving across the surface following its prey, its legs are going you know crazy um, you know it's kind of moving around but if you watch its head it stays absolutely level it's mm -hmm. locked on the prey and that's like uh, that's like kind of same behavior you want in the vehicle you want if the the body of the vehicle the occupants you want to be like the head of that big cat staying absolutely level while the wheels are going up and down you know over the road surface so that's what we would call a, a kind of sky hook um uh, kind of behavior mm -hmm. um and you're kind of anchoring the body of the car to the to the sky and then the other the other side of it is if you, if we're focusing on handling mm -hmm. then uh then that's where actually it's the opposite end you know we want um to give good connection feel for the uh for the driver we want an engaged driving experience you want the road the wheels to be connected to the road so you want the road the, the wheels to follow the road surface as uh, as well as possible you want consistent force in the tires like um, Porsche. yeah yeah exactly so Porsche if you think of, again for Porsche then mm. you think about the driving experience is more about connection and and you know being stuck to the road and that comes through this kind of ground hook approach where you're anchoring the wheels the unsprung mass to the, the kind of road surface mm. um so these two kind of uh ideas are these ideologies or principles of the kind of comfort and handling focus um, and what we do here at eTron is we've got a, a control approach as a hybrid of these two methodologies which then makes it uh, kind of easy to um, to balance then between uh, so that there's a tuning kind of uh, flexibility there and also as we said earlier with the driver modes you can adapt maybe in a sport mode to be more like a, a ground hook kind of focused control. Um, mm. So that's, uh, yeah, make, makes it easier to calibrate. And uh, that's how we would uh, how we'd approach it. Um, and yeah, it's all, all about, we're again, with these active systems, trying to um, trying to find the right balance um, and trying to maximize the benefits that you can, you can get from these systems. Okay. And so I've heard um, about uh, more advanced features in some cars using ADAS sensors and map data. Why wouldn't OEM need this? Um, so, so what we see is um, in this sort of area, there's a, a, a couple of uh, different areas that it, it can help to the, the overall performance of the system. Mm -hmm. So one, uh, one area is it can help uh, absolute performance. So um, in, in this area, it's kind of helping with the uh, the perception of the system so we've got these sensors on the vehicle trying to sense what's going on with the wheels and the body um but if we can look ahead and and kind of give a um a prediction of what's going to happen from these uh, the, this other information you know the ADAS sensors for example use a camera for it, looking at the road surface ahead the map data could have historic stored data about road surface uh, condition or speed bumps things like that um and that that um, improved perception uh, that comes from integrating or fusing all of that data mm -hmm. um, means that you can you can be more certain what's actually happening uh, at any time. Um, and then the other way is that uh, so that's the kind of perception, making sure the inputs to the control system are are of uh, better quality. And then the other part is the in the control system itself in the decision making. 
then um, with more data and more confidence in the, uh, the kind of scenario around the car, you can decide better what, what the right control approach is. So if we, um, you know, we, we might be um, uh, conflicting, you know, the, the uh, one set of sensors thinks that uh, the right thing to do is to, to minimise the damping um, because of uh, particular wheel movements. But if we if we understand that from the situation that we we see from the external sensors, the data sensors and the map data, actually something's about to happen, then we can um, it gives us a better idea to ensure the correct control used at any any particular time. So there's kind of two areas where it can uh, it can help. Okay. Um. I, side side question. Where where does the map come from? Uh. So, um, good, good question. So, there's um, a, a number of map providers who support OEMs. So, they, they, uh, the traditional navigation map providers uh, have a have a um, you know a map data that is uh, put on the vehicle, and, and normally that will be uh, regularly updated uh, on on any vehicle. And these these companies that manage the map data can also manage additional data so typically that that kind of uh, map data will, will cover things about the the route you know the, the type of road and the curvature and things like that but we can add in extra information onto that map uh, just like you see on on google maps for example where you've got the traffic information kind of live oh yeah you know, that's that's kind of added information on your map that you see on your phone mm -hmm. uh, we we can add in uh, we can add in information about speed bump uh, information, you know, so positions of speed bumps, um, dimensions of speed bumps, those kind of things. And again, uh, by having the car kind of connected to the um, to the uh, the cloud, uh -huh. then the vehicles can be updating that information regularly as well. So the map stays up to date, uh -huh. um, you know, and it's kind of fed back to the vehicle in a kind of a uh, you know a continuous kind of loop. Okay, and then and what about the sensors? What type of what type of sensors are there on the car? Um, so we've got the, the suspension systems themselves have their own sensors uh, typically. So there will be some some sensors that are measuring uh, suspension movement or displacement. So they might be accelerometers or or displacement sensors. Um, there's also some some other sensors in the chassis system looking at the, the body movements um, in terms of uh, again accelerations and uh, rotations and things. And then in addition to that, the, these ADAS sensors that are typically useful at the moment, predominantly camera uh, systems are good for surface scanning. And mm -hmm. um, some companies have used uh, have used lidar scanners as well. So there's different uh, different types of ADAS sensors that will um, typically be on vehicles these days, you know, with um, with a lot of uh, more legislated ADAS systems being uh, being required means that vehicles are equipped with these kind of capabilities already. So using them for suspension control is, um, you know, it seems like a, a natural thing. Cool. Thank you. Uh, well, that was the talk, everyone. Um, let's look at the questions. Oh, we've got a lot of questions already, actually. Um, are you ready to answer them? Yeah, yeah, give it a go. Uh, let's see. Mm -hmm. Oh, 
uh, Saren is saying, could you give us a specific? Uh, could you give us specific differences between air suspensions and the other active suspensions? So, um, if we think about air suspension on its own, um, what what the air suspension is? It's typically a um, replacing the coil springs of a, um, a suspension with uh, with an airbag, where you can um, you can adapt then the pressure in the in the air spring to adjust the static load that that spring provides. So that um, an air suspension system is a relatively uh, kind of low frequency uh, system. You know, it's a very it's, it's predominantly there to compensate for load changes in the car to maintain the car at a consistent ride height or it can be used to adjust the ride height maybe with uh, with higher speeds you want to drop it to improve the aerodynamic properties so the air suspension is a um is a very specifically for those kind of uh, kind of scenarios whereas um the other active suspension systems are more um, more dynamic in their reaction. So they'll be, I mean, the, the active damping system is sometimes called continuous damping control. So they are uh, being adapted continuously as the car's driving to change the damping uh, level for any situation. And similarly with active roll and um, more fully active actuators, they're, uh, they're dynamically changing the, the roll moment or the forces in the, in the wheels to, um, to react to certain situations. So the air suspension, although it's an active system, is is really aimed at a very different uh, kind of use case than the other systems. I hope that answers your question. Um, Christoph is saying HV battery in EVs is typically impacting vehicle centre of gravity and potentially rigidity of the chassis comparing to ICEs. How does it affect the performance of the active suspension? Um, so I think... Uh, uh, I mentioned a little bit earlier about the um, the mass property differences. So we do see, it, yeah, the, the centre of gravity typically can be lower with the um, introduction of, of a battery, you know, particularly a, um, in a kind of skateboard architecture. Um, but because of the positioning of the mass, we no longer have a, a combustion engine at one end of the car, which, you know, increases the inertia. So typically the, the pitch inertia will be lower on a an ev architecture than on a um uh, than on a, a conventional powertrain um but uh, but as i said earlier typically the weight the overall weight is higher so there's some kind of um advantages and there's some disadvantages from that come from that and what we what we have experienced as well is that the it's that kind of combination of mass properties which um, which makes it more challenging to get the same kind of character in a vehicle that you would have in a, a conventional vehicle. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the character of an EV is going to, not going to be the right one, but what it means is um, you know, there's a different challenge there and, and the, the need for active uh, damping becomes kind of more obvious. Um, and, it, and obviously, yeah, rigidity uh, comes into it as well um, in terms of changing the modes that the, uh, you know, of the body Again, it's not just the rigidity of the body itself, but um, the units, the power units and things like that, they all have um, kind of frequencies, natural frequencies that they'll be resonating at. And again, we, we need to make sure that our control system can recognize those and adapt the damping where possible to, uh, to improve it. I hope that's answered that. 
Uh, Saran's asking another question. What is a domain control unit? Um, so it, not specifically for, um, for, for suspension systems, but typically a, a domain uh, controller would be an ECU, which is um, covering not just one single system, but is covering a number of different uh, control systems or uh, controlling different systems within a, a similar kind of um, uh, functional domain. So we would, for example, ADAS, typically instead of having um, you know an ECU in the camera and an ECU in the, um, uh, in the radar um, and maybe another ECU for the parking, a domain controller, an ADAS domain controller would be one control unit which is controlling all of those different systems. And similarly for suspension, we're seeing more and more um, the, the control of dampers and air suspension and um, uh, other chassis systems or suspension systems being brought together in a chassis domain control unit. So it's just about um, bringing together control into a single ECUs. Cool. Hope that answers the question. Uh, Adnan is saying, how can the dampers be more affordable so that it can be <clears throat> enable EV without compromising on cost? Yeah, so that's, I mean, that, that's a really good question. It's all, always a challenge, um, you know, to, uh, to increase the technology on vehicles, but try and still maintain a competitive cost. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's a big challenge. I mean, as with a lot of these electronic systems, uh, what we're seeing though is that the longer they're in, uh, in production and the, the components are developed further, they become more efficient in their design. And the costs come down. Um, the, um, I mean, in, in active dampers, for example, have been around for a number of years now. So we are seeing seeing that. But as um, as with any active system, then there is a uh, you know there's a trade off there. I mean, you you do need to invest in the in the, the actuators if you want to have this kind of more advanced capability. Um, but what what we would see probably from the OEM side is that there's then an advantage to OEM, you know, the consumer is getting more for this. Um, so there's a way there then to uh, to offset that the consumer may be more willing to pay or it may be that there's um, more capability that's possible with this system. That means that the vehicle itself, the overall price of the vehicle is, um, you know, is kind of uh, compensating for that. Cool. Uh, Yigit is saying, what about big data? What does that look like for chassis control systems? Can fleet data be used to optimize control strategies? Yeah, good, uh, good question. Um, so I think uh, in terms of data, big data. I mean, we we talked earlier about some of the um, you know the information about the external environment. So uh, making sure that vehicle-based data, so whether it comes from ADAS sensors or the chassis sensors, is fed back to. Um, to a kind of a cloud um, base where it can be stored normally as a, uh, within a map database. Um, so that can be used then to help uh, build a better picture of the environment um, and, uh, and uh, how, how those that can then be used in the control systems. Um, but also um, these control systems, chassis control systems have uh, a lot of information about the vehicle, about the driver, what the driver is doing, how they're driving, um, and also about the um, about the systems themselves, the kind of inputs that they are experiencing. So, really, it opens up 
um, through this kind of connection and, and sharing data back from the vehicle, it opens up opportunities for the consumer to know more about, um, you know, how they are driving, perhaps, or um, you know what uh, what um, the vehicle is kind of performing like. But also for the OEM to keep get a better idea of how their consumers are using the vehicle, so it can help the OEM as well with, um, you know, maybe some decisions about. Uh, changes that might might be helpful to consumers on future products or or on existing products. Thank you. I hope that answers your question. Uh, David is saying, "What is your view on fully active suspensions?" Okay. Um, yeah, <laughs> good question. So I think um, I mean fully active suspension. There's a, there's a couple of examples in in the market already. Have been for um, a few years. Mercedes have been. Uh, putting a, a level of fully active suspension on their vehicles um, now for, for a number of years. Um, I think uh, what we tend to see with this, it's, it's like in a lot of technology areas, um, the, the cost currently is still quite high for that more advanced actuation. Um, and that for a number of OEMs and ultimately consumer is still prohibitive. So, um, Although they do provide some additional performance benefit compared to active damping, for example, um, there's a significant cost, uh, you know, still required for it. So I think it still um, te technically, you know, can offer more benefit um, over a, an active damping system or a combination of active damping and roll control. Um, but what we're seeing, you know, we, we uh, until the, the cost of the actuation comes down, um, then I think it's still going to be something which is only seen on a you know on a few products you know more niche products uh, or OEMs who are really trying to differentiate themselves from the, the competition. I hope that answers your question. Uh, Xenia is saying which ECU is processing the road bump slash pothole information, the ECU of camera or ECU of damper? Okay, so um, I mean this. It depends very much on the uh, the choice of the OEM. So how how they how their architecture is set up. Typically, what we would expect though is that the the kind of the processing the, the image processing. So if we're saying it's a, a camera, for example, um, actually identifying the, the bumps and the potholes is something that's quite a um, you know computationally is quite a, um, a task for a, an ECU and and the. The ECUs typically the, the ADAS ECU, so either in the camera or an ADAS domain controller, will be more suitable for that kind of um, uh, processing. So the, the kind of image processing typically will be done in the ADAS unit. Um, the actual then what what you do with that information, you know what whether you uh, you know choose to react to it, whether you choose to trust it. Um, or whether you you trust more the onboard uh, sensors, you know the the, the chassis sensors, and um, that kind of decision making part of the logic, that processing part will, will typically be done in the chassis control domain. So either in the damper control unit or domain controller at chassis level. Um, we might go a bit over time, if you don't mind, Brian. <laughs> There's a lot of questions that are coming in. Um, if any questions don't get answered today, we will answer them in the chat but everyone's questions will be answered at some point but most of them today <laughs> um saran is asking another question where do you get cloud-based 
road bumpy information and send directly over the air suspension unit on the car. Um, I think uh, if I understand the question correctly, um, I think it's about how which units are doing the connect connectivity here with the cloud. Um, so I'll answer it that way. If that's not how how it's intended, then please just uh, add another question. Um, so I think um, so. Typically, there will be a, a unit on the vehicle, a, a control unit, which has the responsibility for doing the the, the off onboard offboard communication. So a telematics module which will will handle that, um, and then. Um, the uh, on on the vehicle, then that uh, that information can then be passed to um, to the the relevant units. So typically, again, if it's map based data that's stored, um, it will normally be going to an ADAS unit. So the ADAS uh, system will be using a number of uh, a, an amount of data from the map anyway for ADAS control systems. So typically, that that kind of uh, then, then will be managed with an ADAS unit, and then that that information passed further on to the chassis control unit, typically. Um, but um, so normally the air suspension unit itself wouldn't be directly connected to the cloud. It would be getting the getting the data from other units on the car. I hope that answers. Oh, we've got another question. Uh, is there a control unit to operate the air suspension related with the chassis control package and ECU? Um, so yeah, again, I think I think it depends on the uh, on the vehicle architecture. If if a car has uh, a number of different chassis systems, then potentially those will all be managed in a, in a kind of domain control unit. Um, so it could be the air suspension is is handled within a control a chassis unit. Um, what what can also happen is that the air suspension itself. The compressor or the valve block may have an integrated uh, ECU. So, in which case, you know, it could be a dedicated ECU, or it could be that that ECU then is used also to house damper control software. So, it's really there's lots of different um, kind of ways to to allocate the software and to, to handle it on the control unit side. And again, it'll be very much the OEM choice as to you know which suppliers they want to work with or how their electrical architecture is is set up. Um, so there's not there isn't really one one kind of answer to that. I hope that sort of answers it though. <laughs> um, Ilias is saying, how does the semi-active damping suspension system compares the fully active suspension system? What are the advantages of each solution? Okay, yeah, so um Right, how, how best answer? So the uh, with a with a um, an active damping system or semi-active system, as uh, as Elias calling it, the um, the system can only change the level of damping in the uh, in the suspension. So um, and damping, you know, to to generate the damping force, you need some movement in the suspension. So the force that can be um, kind of controlled is really depending on movement of the of the wheel. Um, but like I say, it can change the damping and therefore control uh, the energy by by adapting damping uh, coefficient. Um, whereas with a fully active system, the idea is that you can you can actively control the force. So independently of whether the, the wheel is moving anyway, you can you can apply a force to individual wheels. 
Um, so you can apply force. You can uh, you can do that to try and control the position of the wheel or to to try and control the force in the in the tire. Um, so there's a greater kind of capability in terms of actuation and the effect that has on the car with a fully active system than with just a, a semi-active damping system. Um, the advantages are that um, I mean. One significant one is the is the cost difference. Like I said earlier, that um, an active damping system is uh, is going to be lower cost, and you get a significant benefit in terms of the, the customer experience um, just with active damping on a on a car. Um, whereas the, um, the fully active system gives you much more capability to to control the suspension forces and therefore the the behaviour of the car. So you've got much more bandwidth with a fully active system. Um, one kind of technical advantage of a, a damping system is that you know you still need damping in in the suspension, and that with a fully active system you have to try and manage that um, in the actuator as well. So it's a kind of uh, something which a, a conventional kind of active damping system you, you don't have to think about it so much unless it's uh, you know an MR magnetorheological damper, in which case you know that's a bit more challenging, but. Yeah, so it's a yeah, hopefully a bit of a rambling answer, but I've mm-hmm. a bit of an idea. Yeah. Uh you saying are fully active suspension systems safety critical? How do they look like from functional safety point of view? Yeah. Um so it, it, it's a good question and um and yes, they are safety critical. I mean mo- most of these kind of control systems are in some way safety critical. Um Controlling the suspension on the vehicle, you know, can really influence the the way the vehicle handles, and therefore how safe or or controllable it is. Um, so they are they are safety critical. Um, how they look exactly um, will depend on the application. So you really need to consider the the functional safety um, for the whole system in in the kind of target vehicle. Um, so the hazard analysis and and uh, risk assessment all, all has to take all of that into account so it depends how that's done um, and will be different you know depending on the oem and the application but yeah typically um systems that have more actuation capability and can change the the suspension more will have a higher acl rating um than the, than those that have kind of less less effect so thank you um I'm not sure if I'm going to say the name correctly. I'm really sorry if I pronounced it wrong. Um, Venugo Power saying, is there any development in the direction of having electric suspension instead of air suspension, which is heavier? Will it help in reducing the weight? Um, so if I, uh, if I understand, so the, the idea is that the electric suspension uh, might be lighter than air suspension, I think is is the kind of basis of the question. Um, so I guess, I mean, uh, one thing to say, I think air suspension is is a very good way of uh, of doing what, what it needs to do uh, today. So in terms of uh, compensating for load in the car, maintaining level ride height, um, it's a very energy efficient way of, of managing that task. Whereas if you, uh, typically, if you're trying to manage the load with, an actuator like an electric uh, actuator then you'll probably be drawing much more power consumption so 
So it might be, um, you know, overall, it might be a way of keeping the weight of the full system down um, by by going to an electric actuator. I, I think it's un, unlikely. I think um, I think uh, even weight wise, an air suspension system probably will end up being uh, less weight than a, a um, full electric actuation. Um, but I think the other thing is, like I say, the power consumption. And I think uh, the the current concepts for active suspension don't um, don't kind of take away the need for that um, static force offset that air suspension is very good at. Cool. Um, we're going to answer just a few more. So if we don't answer your question, we'll answer it in the comments because we're going a bit over time. Um, so let's say four more minutes and then um, we will yeah. stop. Um, Naveed is saying, what are the cons in magnetological suspension? Yeah, so I think just looking at uh, Naveed's previous comment to that, I think in terms of active damping and semi-active suspension, um, MR dampers are um, probably in terms of their performance uh, better than a, um, than a, 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 a valve-based uh, bypass system. Um, so I think you're right in saying that they're maybe the most advanced in terms of that capability, you know, their reaction time, um, their consistency of, of, re of response and control um, is very good. Um, and the cons are that, uh, I guess, one is until now anyway, um, it's not been a very widely used uh, um, technology. So the availability of it in the market is, is relatively limited. Um, the uh, and and maybe because of that as well, you know, cost uh, cost can be a consideration. Um, they've 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 had some technical challenges uh, as well over the years, which have been kind of improved more recently. But I guess with fewer companies working on them, then then the kind of advancements take a little bit bit longer. But I think the main the main con from a technical point of view is the fact that in terms of the base damping level of the of an MR damper. Um, it doesn't have the, the kind of inherent damping characteristics that a, a bypass uh, type system will have. So the control system then has to really um, be much more active in terms of uh, providing just basic damping, uh, which is really important for just, you know, the, this connection and the steering, the immediate movement from, from kind of straight ahead. So there's a, a more of a challenge from a control point of view with MR dampers than with a conventional damper. I think that's probably the main the main kind of technical disadvantage. I hope that answers your question. Um, Joanna's saying future actions for reducing the weight by integrating the functions of all the components of the whole active suspension system. Yeah, I think uh, so. I think there's definitely some opportunities to uh, to help with complexity and, and weight by integrating uh, systems together. So definitely, um, you know, if, if the control can be integrated, then uh, more is possible with, uh, with the actuation. And therefore, you could potentially look at um, maybe, uh, you know, sizing um, differences of the systems to, to try and optimize the weight. Um, and ultimately, if you kind of look at a fully active actuator, um, if you can get rid of a, an active roll bar and uh, active damping and uh, then possibly 
you know, integrating functions into fewer actuators may also eventually bring a weight benefit. Um, I think in the short term, the, the kind of main advantages are uh, if you can reduce the, the number of control units and the, the number of sensors used by all of these different systems, then you get a weight saving and, you know, in, not least because of the you know reduction in wiring and things that you can uh, you can see on the vehicle. Uh, we've got one more question, and then we'll have answered all of them actually. Um, Mohammed is saying you've mentioned about potential usage usage of active suspensions to enhance ADAS capabilities. Capabilities. Sorry. Um, another interesting example of this is the Audi A8 pre-send side collision system, lifting up the side of the vehicle to mitigate the impact. Can you please explain this as well? Uh, I'll do my best. So I'm not um, I'm not an expert in the in the Audi uh, system itself, but I think so. There's a couple of things. So we um, there are things you can do with the suspension to um, to kind of adapt based on a, an emergency or critical situation. So you can increase the damping, you know, try and optimize the, the contact uh, force of the tire when there's a critical situation, like a, a, um, a, an, an AB breaking event or a, uh, something like that. And um, the Audi, the, the pre-sense collision system. So again, from the information from the ADAS sensors about what's happening around the vehicle, um, they're using the, the fully active actuator. So they have a kind of force overlay actuator uh, on the vehicle. Um, and they're able to then change the height of the vehicle um, in the immediate uh, kind of time before the collision to try and get the vehicle into a position where the, um, the impact energy is going to be managed you know, most efficiently. Um, so it really depends on the, the kind of the collision situation. <clears throat> but they, they're optimizing the the stance of the vehicle to minimise the, the energy in the, um, you know, going into the, the passenger compartment. Uh, and I think other, others do it as well. Um, by the way. <laughs> um, thank you. Uh, well, I've learned a lot today, Brian, so thank you for your time. Um, if there's any more questions, please pop them in the chat and they will be answered. So um, we hope to see you in the next live. Stay tuned on LinkedIn and have a nice day. Thanks, Britt. Thank you.